All right, part two of the podcast. Uh, this is the first part two I've done in like, actually, I think ever. Right on. In a hundred and thirty some episodes, this is the first time ever that a podcast ended. Actually, Emma is the only other one where I said, "You know what? That's not the end. We need to keep this thing going." Um, it was an incredible story. So for the people that didn't watch episode one, if you go back and you watch Dominic Comer's first episode on my podcast, uh, do you remember the episode number? Episode one? 133. 133. Go back. Um, it'll make this one make a lot more sense. But uh, for the people that did watch it, this is how we're going to pick this back up. Basically, you had told your origin story. You had told, you know, so, so much about your perspectives and your struggles and the setbacks and the angel you found in your life and all these things. And we were finally getting to the light in the dark. You were really starting to break free. So as a quick synopsis from the factory to moving to Kentucky, to coming back home, to getting involved in real estate, you get your real estate license. You're on the brink of defeat. You walked across the street to go get a job to change oil because you said, you know what, this real estate thing isn't working out for six months. I've been stacking cards, making phone calls. And like we said on the last one, you were actually failing your way to success. You were building the foundation that you would stand on. But the gentleman at the oil change shop looked at you and said, I'm not looking to hire a gentleman that wants to do real estate. I'm looking to hire someone that wants to change oil. And uh, so basically you go back, then you have a breakthrough. You find your first client purchase and a sale and then it yields you know all of a sudden you go meteoric in the next six months you do like 90k in sales we're gonna pick back up at that point so all of a sudden you start hitting home run and you know what one thing you said was you you were paying a coach as you start to blow up you were paying a coach a thousand dollars a month more than your mortgage yeah at the time that your uh girlfriend at the time lauren was working she's a nurse you know, you brought that up to her. Hey, I'm, I'm paying this coach. And she was yeah. like, Hey, it looks like it's working. Incredible Dominic. So I'm going to just turn the mic over to you. I'm going to close my mouth. I was blown away by episode one. And I want you to just take me from that part in the story. So now all of a sudden you start to be the breadwinner again. You start, you know, really hitting home runs. You're blowing up in real estate. Take me back to the mind of that man. You know, what life started to feel like, how your perspective started to change. Let's talk a lot about the mental coaching that you were getting because yeah. that was probably huge. That's a huge part of it. And let's just, let's turn it over to you. So take me back to that. And what, where is this in the timeline to years wise? Uh, this is, I think that we were talking, we finished off talking about when Lauren got to finish or, or, or become a stay-at-home mom full-time. Yes, it's right. exactly where we were. Yeah, but let's 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 so not was, skip over the lessons you were getting from your mentor and all that stuff. But yep. let's pick it up at that point. So timeline year was yep. so that was 2016. Got it. So, oh, so about seven years ago. Yeah. All right. The floor is yours, my friend. All right. So yeah, 2017 at the time I hired my first coach. Well, 2016 I hired my first coach who got me to the point to where Lauren was able to stay home from work. My business was rocking and rolling. Uh, I was being held accountable. Um, I mean, that was that was it was such an amazing time for me because I was back. Right, I was actually starting to see that my efforts were paying off. That I was able to be the breadwinner of the house and take care of and provide for my family at this point, and then start looking at a bigger life. Um, I I felt like most of the most of the crap was behind me. Right. 
Uh, so I'm doing good. I'm loving real estate. I'm loving coming to work just like you're loving, you know, you love to come to this academy. Um, life was good. Uh, Lauren was home with the kids. Shortly after that, I mean, my business keeps growing. Um, I found a new coach. Uh, my old coach ended up getting out of coaching and into some other type of industry. Before we skip that too, mm-hmm. what were the breakthroughs that you found with that first coach? Because you told me on the last podcast that like it took you to a completely different level. Like you started scaling through the roof. You started tripling income levels. Like that is, so there was an exponential increase there. Something had to be clicking. And maybe it was things from the coach and also things that you were doing in your life. But let's dig a little deeper into that. Yeah. So I would say the biggest thing is that you – as a human being, it's really, really hard to hold yourself accountable no matter what your goals are. Uh, we can always talk ourselves out of doing the hard things to do the busy work. I think that coach, uh, he did the, he brought the best out of me as far as, um, as a business owner, pointing me in the direction and leading me down the path of getting my calendar right, following a strict calendar, Focusing on my money-making activities and not perfecting the font on my business card, which is easy, right? Um, It was all of those little things. It was the foundational pieces of being a businessman that he helped me with. Um, He helped me. He helped me with being a real estate agent that was not going to run twenty-four hours a week or twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, like so many of them do. He taught me to build my business as a business so I could spend time with my family while I'm making money, which from the very beginning, I've never wanted my kids to be like, because I love the industry so much, I never wanted them to grow up and say, I don't ever want to be a real estate agent. My dad was never home. Uh, So it was just those very simple things. And he was only my coach for probably about a year. So he got me to get my calendar right got me to do my lead generating. And if I didn't do my lead generating, uh, we would talk, I think, at the time on Thursdays. If I didn't hit my numbers by the end of the week, he would say, okay, uh, you told me you would hit those numbers. You didn't hit your numbers. What are you doing this weekend? And I would say, well, you know, I've got this planned or this plan. And he'd, he, he would say, it sounds like you get to do all of those things after you come into the office and make your calls. He held me accountable to a very high level. But it wasn't for his sake. It was for my own. I told him what my goals were, and he told me what it was going to take to hit those goals. So if I didn't do it, I was just – I was basically punishing my family by not sticking to my word. And that was invaluable. That is so big because, listen, that's like medicine when you're sick. You don't want to hear that, and you don't want to be held accountable like that, and you don't want the consequences of your actions usually. But it is the best thing for you. It is the number one thing that anyone that's a mentor, even a loved one, the best thing they can do for you is hold you to the standards that you deserve to live at. And it's like a lot of people don't do that, especially their emotions get in the way, right? And the emotions let people off the hook. They let themselves off the hook, you know, like, and you're a hundred percent right. And you know what your, it sounds like your coach made you do every day. You really just you opened a doorway in my mind when you were talking about that, where every day there's a million things you can do and you can justify why you're doing what you're doing. And you can easily say, well, you know, I do want to get better at this, but there's probably a monster that's right in the path that if you fought that monster, it yields 
it, the return on investment is so much higher. Like you're going to, you're going to make a profound difference that day versus, you know, but I'm busy, I'm working. What that coach did was he made you identify the real problems and said, no, fight those battles first because you know that's where the yield will come from. And it's like, those are the things that, that really clicked to me. It's like my fighters, if we really sat down and tried to figure out where they should be investing in their time, they know. Yeah. They do know. The question becomes, why am I not doing that? And it sounds like the coach really got you to align on that type of thinking, which is where the breakthroughs come from. Yeah. You're supposed to fight the battles that are in front of you that are hindering your progress the most. Those are the hardest battles, yeah. which is why you don't want to fight them. Right. But that's where the progress is going to be you know, pulled from. So you start blowing up like that. You start holding yourself accountable. How do you juggle the balance in life? Because I remember when I started to blow up, you become so obsessed with the pursuit of blowing up and your business that it's almost like, like me and my fiance got into several fights where she was like, you're going to keep this time for family. And I was like, you don't understand. I have to be able to message this person back. I have to be able to, I have to do film study. I have it. And she's like, you are not going to be available to these people, she always used to say, 24-7. It's not going to yeah. happen. And at first, I actually was a little resentful towards her. I was like, you don't understand what it takes to be successful. I have to do this. Thank God when I look back, she was right. The balance and the recharging actually made me more efficient. But how did you get through that struggle? Because I yeah. guarantee, as a man who came from the trailer park and for you know, has faced all these setbacks. When you start tasting success, you're like, nothing's getting in the way of me getting more success. How did you keep that balance? Well, success to everybody looks different, right? Uh, I love, love, love my family so much, and I love being home with them to where when I was learning from this coach about building my real estate business as a business, it was a lot of setting expectations up front, and I had to get real good at it with everybody. I, I had to protect my time with the most valuable people in my life more than anything, and people respect that. I mean, I, I got a text message at 7 o'clock at night the other, the other day from an agent who knows me, um, and it was complaining about another agent, uh, and I didn't respond. I'm with my family. After my kids were to bed, I responded to this guy who – texted me and called me back to back three times. Um, and I said, respectfully, after five o'clock during the week, I'm with family. I'm dad. I'm no longer owner of Keller Williams. I'm not the broker of the office. Uh, I employ a broker for, for issues like that. I'm not that. When I'm five o'clock hits or four o'clock hits, it doesn't matter what time it is. When I'm on my way home, my mind shuts off from work and turns into dad mode. Man, that's incredible. And what that is is you know your priorities so clearly that you are not willing to sacrifice the, the time that you have with your children because that time's going to pass quickly. Yeah. Soon enough, Troy's going to be a teenager, Cole's going to be a teenager, and then they're going to be adults. And those memories are those are just memories. They're yeah. gone forever. You can't get back to that time. So it's like you recognize the incredible importance of being present in those moments with your children. I had it backwards. What I did was yeah, but this is what's going to provide the best life. So I have to go all in. And I, and I had it backwards. You had it correct. You had the formula right, right off the bat. Because what I found was I had fears 
that if I set limitations on people or like, you know, my students can't reach out after this time, like that they would think I was a lesser coach or something like that. Mm. Actually, not at all. They respect me more that I'm like, guys, like, do I pour a thousand percent into you when I'm around? Do I give from the moment I wake up? If, I, if I'm involved in something, I'm giving a hundred percent to it. Yeah. You got to understand that I need that time for my family and my loved ones. They do. They respect the boundary. And you know what? It probably has to be enforced a little bit more sometimes on your end, you know, because we have a little bit different of a culture. Like we're almost like brothers and sisters because we're all training together all the time and yeah. strangling each other. But it's like you had the formula in place. You knew your values right off the bat. So it probably wasn't as hard. A, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with balance. It's not as hard because I'm leading by example. I want them to do the same thing with their business. I have 187 agents that I feel responsible for that I want them to be lead successful lives. And that's just not how much money they can make. I want them to have the time home with their families. I want them to protect that time. And my, by me leading by example and doing that, I feel like I, I can maybe pour some of that into them and they can, they can take some of that home with them. A real estate agent does not have to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week to be successful. It just doesn't have to happen. I mean, there are, there's no such thing as real estate emergency. We can always negotiate. You know, if we're negotiating contracts later in the evening or something like that, okay, yes, there's deadlines. Um, but it doesn't have to be 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't advise my agents to pick up their phone when they're sitting at dinner with family. I don't. I don't think that that's right. I think that they can call that person back after. And when you're, in, when you're, when you're present somewhere, you got to be present. I mean, my family is more valuable than any of my businesses, and I I don't want to lose them. So, and that type of culture, man. I mean, because when it's coming from the top down, when you have the 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 head honcho, the captain of the ship, saying, "No, if you're at dinner with your family, be at dinner with your family. Yeah. The phone call can wait. And if that customer decides they're not going to do business with you, business with you because you cared about being present with your wife and your children or your husband and your children, then you know what? Then it, it's okay. It's all right to lose that relationship. Yeah. You, we need to build a culture at Keller Williams where we are 100% in investing and doing the right things and being authentic and being genuine, but we're not going to do it at the cost of our own mental health, physical health, families, you know, dynamic. Because let me tell you what, your family starts falling apart. It won't matter. Yeah. You can find multiple careers, right? You can find multiple companies to work for. If your family is falling to shambles, your life is going to fall apart. That's so exactly that, right. That's huge. And you spearheading that is so important because there are some bosses that are tyrants. They like they expect you at 1 a.m. on a you know Sunday. If they call you, you better answer the phone. Yeah. Well, it's like you're telling them the opposite. Listen, it might make you make a tiny bit less money in the short term. But actually, in the long term, you're going to build better boundaries, more respect. You're going to make your community stronger. You're going to live by example. And those are the type of people that people want to work with. Yeah. That's huge. And that's a cultural thing that is felt. The way that you feel really resonates. Like, when, I'm sure that they feel that type of presence versus the, like, you're cracking a whip, like, numbers or else. What I hear is you treat your business more like a family, more like you care about the people that you're around. I do. It's not just numbers. It's not bottom line that, hey, if you're not this, get out of here. Yeah. No, not at all. So let's continue to unfold the story. Mm -hmm. um, you're being successful. You're doing really well in real estate. You had the first coach for a year. Lauren is still working at this point. Let's start to take through, you know, to have a mother in the household 
to raise the children is like, I know that's considered like traditional, but it's like, who do you want raising your kids? Yeah. You want them raised by someone that loves them deeply, that, that has compassion and guidance. And so I know the dream that you were trying to build work, you know, walk me through that process of, you know, when you get to the point where you guys sit down and you're like, you know what? It's time to pull the trigger. It's time yeah. to get you out of being a nurse. Take me through that stage of your life and, and the fulfillment that that brings to you. Oh, I mean, it was truly unreal. I mean, of course, going back and thinking about where I grew up and even the money that I made as a, as, you know, as a young adult, I mean, a nurse's income is really, it's a good, solid income. Uh, it's a good, solid uh, career that you can do anywhere that, you know, I mean, probably one of the most solid careers out there in the medical field. Um, it just wasn't Lauren's passion. Uh, she wanted to, she's always dreamt of being able to stay home with the kids. And like I said in the old last episode, I, if I said, I told her, I told her that she'll be able to stay home with the kids as soon as I can triple her income. And I'm working my ass off to do this. Uh, because I really, that's, that was my first goal. If you would have asked me, if you asked me from 2013 on uh, until she uh, was able to stay home with the kids, that was my first big goal. That was it, is to pr- be able to provide enough for my family to where Lauren can stay home and be full-time mom to these kids. So the feeling was amazing. And men are better when we have a mission. Oh, yeah. We're just better with a mission. If you have a yeah. mission to accomplish, every decision you make, every thought you have, every action you take, everything you do can be measured up versus the mission. It's like, you know what I mean? You have a GPS that's trying to lead you to the goal and everything you do is either moving you towards it or away from it. And it's like now all of a sudden you can really be your best. If you're not on a mission, you have to be like, I mean, I I don't know how you float by without a mission. Can you? You don't. You drift. You just, you know what it is? You set cruise and you'll end up wherever the car is going to take you. Yeah. And it's like if you are intentional about the destinations you want to arrive at, you need to clearly set them in your mind. You yeah. need to know what it looks like so that you can make the evaluation on is this right? Is this wrong? Is it et cetera, et cetera. Which leads me to my next coach. Excellent. So, so the first coach gets out of the business. You're doing yep. really well. The mission is I'm going to triple Lauren's income and then we're going to that stage. Yep. How do you find the next coach? You know, just, just walk me through all of that. Yeah. So Keller Williams has a, another entity called maps coaching program. It's a mastery program. It's for leadership or for real estate agents or just life coaching. And when my first coach got out, I started looking for my next coach through maps and they basically, they will help you align with a coach based on what you're, you're aspiring to do, right? What your goals are. They, they look at what your, where your business started and where you're at now and, and help you get to the next level. So they want to align you with somebody who can get you there, man. Oh man. Did I get really lucky with this next coach? The first one that you found, it was the first person you worked with through maps. Second person. So Second my first person. coach was maps also. Oh, okay. Got it. So you had found the first coach through maps. He yep. was really well, but he stepped, uh, did, did a really good he job, but he stepped to, away. Yeah, he did something else. And then you just happened to find this other guy. That's amazing. And that's also a big testament to maps oh, yeah. because generally like in any field, in coaching, 
in, you know, finding a right therapist, any of these things. Well, that title of coach has an incredibly broad spectrum. The title of therapist has an incredibly broad spectrum. Same thing with doctor, lawyer, anything. And it's like, it sounds like you've been incredibly fortunate back to back that you just found people that resonated with you. So let's talk about the second coach. Yeah. So like I said, my first coach talked to me about accountability, getting my day structured, my money-making activities, my lead generating, things like that. This coach, he said, Dominic, I... We obviously got to know each other on our introductory call. He said, before we, he goes, I don't want to talk about your sales numbers or anything like that until I know what your five-year vision for your life is and money is not an object. And I said, whew, like I was pretty good at goal setting too. And I said, five years and money is not an object. He said, yes, I need you to paint me a picture of in five years from today with unlimited funds, where are you living? Specifically, what cars are you driving? How much money do you have in the bank? How much are you giving away? Um, What, you know, what vacations are you going on? All, yacht, everything. I want to know, I want to be able to visualize what your life looks like in five years. Dream big. And it took me three weeks of journaling every morning, sitting down with Lauren saying, hey, if money's not an object, what are you driving in five years? She said a white Yukon. Uh, I had a Raptor truck on there, right? I, we wrote down, you know, a, a ranch house with a walkout on 20 acres with a pole barn. Uh, Caribbean vacations, like all of these things, I mean, everything that I wrote down on there and it was my by 40 goals because I was 35 at the time he said I want to know what your life looks like by the time you're 40 when I submitted all the all of that to him basically just in a brainstorm and he's at the end he looks at it and he said that looks amazing what are you doing for a living and I go what do you mean Danny you're my real estate coach like I'm gonna be a millionaire real estate agent and I'm going to have all of that. And he goes, tell me what you love about doing real estate. And I said, I mean, so far I love that, I mean, it's an uncapped opportunity. Uh, it's changing the my life, my children's lives. Um, and I get a super big high when I help a client find their dream home or sell their house for more money or whatever. I'm helping them accomplish some dreams, some big dreams with big assets. And I really get a high from that. And he said, well, let's talk about that. How could you help more people change their lives the way that you changed your life? And, how, and, and in doing that, you can make better real estate agents that could get that same high from helping more clients. And I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would have to own the company for that. Yeah. Doorway opened. That's what just took place is for the first time, like when he saw the zero turn mower and said, could I own a company like that one day? Mm. And then it turns it. What it is, is all these doorways exist in the mind. It's just, you have to open them. You have to identify. You have to see them. Then you have to try the key that exists. And then you have to go, that can be opened. And, yeah. and the moment that that happens, 
it becomes possible. It does. It only becomes probable based on your work ethic, but it becomes possible. And when, when Dominic recognizes there's actually nothing stopping me from scaling and being so successful that that is my life, well, now all of a sudden, if you've painted that vision so clearly that you desire that future, you and Lauren just built it over three weeks. Every day, that vision of that future you're going to have is going to be on your mind like, Dominic, the 20 acres is waiting. The walkout ranch is here. That raptor would feel so good every time it fires up and roars down the road. Guess what? Now you have an incredible pull from the future that is thrown. Dominic from five years through time and space has a rope. And every time you don't think you have enough, that rope gets pulled on. So yeah. like, I, man, I, as, as you're telling it, I was like, this is incredible. That's, that's why I make fighters vision board. Yeah. That's why we talk to people. It is, it's the roadmap right before you just told me that we were talking about if you have a roadmap and you desire the destination deeply, yeah. You will do everything in your power to get there. So let's start to talk about how that unfolds. Because you create the vision. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you and Lauren say, there's a door here. Could that be our lives? How does it start to come together? What type of fuel does that give you, et cetera? Wow. How, how do you change, Dominic, once you created that vision? I love that you asked that. How do I change? How did I change? Man, let's just take a step back to just where I left off. My coach said, sounds like you need to own the brokerage. And he said, and I said, well, I mean, that's way beyond my train of thought, but wow, that would be cool. And he said, all right, well, that's your goal. In five years, you're going to own the brokerage. I need you to go to your owner and tell him that your five-year goal for your life is to own this brokerage. And I had only been in real estate for four years from time of getting my license or yeah, maybe four years at the time when I told him that. And he goes, Dominic, and he was a mentor of mine, like I said in the last episode. Um, he said, Dominic, do you know how old I'll be in five years? And I said, no. And he goes, well, I'll be 70, and I'll be ready to retire, and I think that that's a great plan. Had I not ever asked, for God's sake. All right, so let's keep going. That was wild because he gave me that that ray of hope. Like, and I went home that night and I said to Lauren, I'm like, you wouldn't believe this. But this is what came out of me dream, you know, dream setting, goal setting, vision boarding for my buy 40 goals. And I told Rick that I want to buy the company in five years. And he told me that that would be a good idea. And he would love that. I'm going to pull the Bible for a second. Okay. <laughs> Knock and the door will open. You have to knock, ask and you shall receive, right? You have to be willing to knock. You have to be willing to ask. You have to be willing to look and say, is there a path here? And then there's a leap of faith Yeah. because you have to be the person that's willing to jump and pursue that path. But it's like, that's all you did. Most people live their lives thinking that they are on a path that is completely barred from the sides and there's nothing else they can do and they follow their path. It's like there's a million other paths that are invisible to you because of your mind, because of your programming, because of your limited vision, because of your lack of self-worth, because of your lack of self-belief, because of your support system. But in front of you, imagine if you had never had that conversation. Well, it gets better. (laughs) Five months after I told Rick that I wanted to buy the company in five years, he called me and he hadn't been to the office in a little while. He was not feeling good. And he was a very, very private man. He called me up and said, hey, could you come over to my house? I'd like, I need to talk to you about something. 
So, I mean, freaking out. I've never been to his house before. Didn't even know where he lived. Um, I went over to his house and sat down and he said, Dominic, I've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He said, I'm going to beat it and I need to get my ducks in a row. And I've never stopped thinking about you telling me that you wanted to buy this company. He said, so I'm getting all of my affairs in order. And I'm telling you, I mean, this guy, he was, he was a beast of a man. He was a Marine through and through. Uh, very, very strong man. So I, I believed him that he was going to make it through it. He said, when you buy the company, I want to be your broker. Um, and I'm like, holy cow, Rick. Like that was five months ago that I told you in five years I wanted to buy this company. He said, don't tell me you can't afford it. Here's the appraisal. It had a lot of numbers on it, more than I ever had. And he said, don't tell me you can't afford it. Go home and talk to your family and pray about it and come back and tell me how we're going to do this deal. So I went home. Oh, I went home, and first person I talked to was Lauren. And I said, this is the deal. Rick's sick. He wants me to buy the company. I need to come up with seven figures, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. And she said, again, the saint, Lauren, said, well, if anybody can do it, it'll be you. And I believe in you. So let me know how you figure it out. And I talked to family. I prayed about it. Lauren's dead. The family helped me a little bit. And um, here we are. I was able to go back to them and structure a deal for that and the title company. And my dream started a little bit early. It is so unbelievable to sit and hear that. And just everyone that <clears throat> listened to this episode, if they could just realize that you are them and they are you and I am, if you just recognize that this is a man that set out on a path, that made the right decisions, that trusted in himself and the people that he loved, who had an incredible support system. Like, I believe that Lauren is a literal essential piece of your story because without that type of faith behind the scenes, without someone, imagine it, all the fear she could have dumped on you throughout many parts of the story that you've told. Yeah. She could have dumped on the fear of, oh my, you can't do this to our family. You can't take this risk. You can't do that. Or, or even just telling you that you're not enough. Yeah. One of those things, if she would have dumped fear on you or made you feel that you weren't as great as you are, none of this probably comes to fruition because it's like her belief in you gave you that extra courage to be like, you know what? I am going to find a way. Yeah. And then you find a way. And it's like, if we would have went back five months prior, you never built that story. You never had that coach. You never sat down with Lauren and you know, a random passerby was like, yeah, you should just own this company one day. It does nothing. No. It's just words. It does nothing. What you did is you put your mind, your soul, your spirit, your feelings, your family in alignment for what you are trying to achieve. You already felt what it would be like to get her that Yukon. Yeah. You already felt in your soul what it would be like when you were driving that Raptor. And it you was were inevitable. You knew it was coming. You said, listen, I don't know how I'm going to get there. But that's the future that I'm going to have. Yeah. And I can relate to that feeling like this team started out of a basement. But 
But I used to tell Brian's the number one person that if he was sitting here today, when we were in the basement, Dominic, I said, one day, you'll see, we're going to have a facility that is so grand that UFC fighters will visit this, I used to say Howell, but we this community yeah. from around the world. And we're going to make an incredible impact. We are going to be a beacon of light in this community. Those words were so detached from reality. I was a delusional young kid, but yet I knew the path. Listen, call that divine intervention. Call that the Holy Spirit. Call that whatever you want to call it. Call it coincidence. Call it just random luck. I don't care. We are both living examples of men that created an incredibly strong vision that refused to follow anything but the trust in that vision even if it was just blind trust. And yet here we are podcasting today with those dreams having come true. Call that whatever you want. There's so many clues in that that will yield success for people if they could just find that type of trust within themselves and for life itself, whether it comes from a God or a purpose or love or whatever it is. So let's talk about the point you purchased the company. You're now the owner, man. You make it happen. This vision is coming to reality. One of the things that I think probably had to hit you is imposter syndrome is something that hits people when success comes quickly. Because you remember being Dominic, the kid from the trailer park and the kid that struggled and all of your failures and the times that you were a lesser version of yourself. And now here you are. Yeah. Dominic Comer, owner of Keller Williams, Brighton and Howell. Did that hit you? Did you get imposter syndrome? Did you feel I unworthy? Imposter syndrome. Let's still. talk about that. Yeah. Talk about be as open and genuine and honest mm-hmm. as you can for all the people, all your agents that'll see this. Because yeah. I still, to this day, regardless of everything I've done, I still almost feel a degree of unworthiness. Like, why do I get to des- deserve to have this life? What? Why do I have this when others don't? Yeah, I still feel that. Talk yeah. about that concept. So. The first time that I had the imposter syndrome was when I bought, it was the year before I bought the company, I bought our ranch on 15 acres with a pole barn, but um, with a walkout. I started having imposter syndrome then because here I am, this kid from the trailer park that's now buying a half a million dollar house that I could have never even I, I could have never even dreamt of right so I started it started there and for the first year of living in that house before buying the brokerage I actually had that I had that doubt all the time like man am I going to be able to pull this off am I, I going to be able to sustain this business to keep this forever like all of the things that go through your head the limiting beliefs so then I buy this brokerage uh I'm I closed on the brokerage exactly five years to the day of getting my real estate license. October 31st, 2013, I got my license. October 31st, 2018, I closed on two very expensive businesses. Um, Yes, of course, I had an imposter syndrome. I also had agents who had been in the brokerage long before me that sat down at a table like this across from me that said, I'm leaving. You're never going to make it. You, this, you're going to burn this place down. You don't deserve to have this. Um, you're just a rookie agent that you don't know anything about running a brokerage, and I didn't. Um, I had people say that to my face and walk out of my brokerage. So after buying this 
brokerage where the value of the of it is the agents and the business that they do, I lost 30-something producing agents. It brought me from 150-agent brokerage down to 125, 130, which was a huge hit on the profit and loss. Uh, so, yeah, I'm scared to death at this point. Now I have to figure out exactly how I'm going to not only lead these agents, being a rookie agent myself. Yes, I, I actually I became one of the top agents in the brokerage before buying it, but I still didn't, wasn't respected as a real estate you know, professional um, from some of my peers. Some say I just got lucky, right? Others saw the 100 to 300 phone calls I made. Um, I had to learn leadership, and I had to learn it fast. So everything that I did from that point moving forward was learning leadership podcasts, leadership books, knowing that the more that I pour into these people and help them, just all I had to do was follow that vision that I told my coach of what I wanted to do, and that was change lives of all of these people that walk through the door that very similar to the way that I changed my life or better and help them. So that's I spent every day. Still, I'm in the office every day. My job is to help these agents become better, not only financially, but to live better lives. It's so important. That's what I did. I went back. Man, I've read so many John Maxwell books. He's such a servant leader. I just started to emulate and and model what he was doing, and that was help enough other people get what they want, and you will have anything in the world that you want. That's a Zig Ziglar quote, actually, but... I mean, that's the that was the premise of it. So um, not knowing the business end, I never went to college. I was starting to learn how to read P&Ls. I'm having to learn the financial side of all of it. I'm having to learn every – I'm learning every one of these jobs that I have no experience in uh, except for my MCA, my market center administrator job because she's like the CFO. I can't do her job, but I can pretty much do everybody else's job. Um. I just had to get better. I just had to get better every single day. And just like I tell my agents today, someone's going to replace me as the owner of this company one day. And the person that's going to do that, they're going to read more books than I read. They're going to be a stronger leader than I am. They're going to be better at teaching classes. They're going to care more about the people than I – like it's just the next next person is just going to be one level up from me or more. Um the person that literally sees your path, takes the torch, and carries it correctly. Yeah. One of the things that I found in how to be a great leader, because when you're going to tell that story, you're saying, I was a beginner and a novice at all of these things. I didn't have the skills required initially. I had probably countless fears because now all these people are depending on me. I had people look me in the face with their limiting beliefs and, you know, through jealousy or anger or whatever it is or, or like if they don't have the fire within themselves, how can they see the fire within you? If they've been there longer and they've done more, then why aren't they in that position? If they don't feel qualified, then why in the world would you be qualified? Yeah. Here's one of the secrets that I found out. You know how you really bring out the absolute best in people? Like Maxwell's Five Levels of Leadership is fantastic. Zig Ziglar's great. These are all motivational things, and there's Les Brown made such an impact on me. But you know how you bring out the best in people? You make them good people. Yeah. 
The secret to winning in this life to extreme competence is you have to feel proud about who you are. Because if you take a man or a woman that feels awesome about the person that they are in this world, that has learned from the trials and tribulations, that has been knocked down, fallen on their face, had shit thrown at them, made their own mistakes, hurt people, done the wrong things, but you get yourself into a place where you are proud of who you are. And especially if you're loved, if you're loved by even only a couple people, if you are loved and appreciated and you have yourself in order, those challenges are just, just that they're challenges, they're obstacles. And what you realize is I can find a way around them. I don't need the answers. You guys think I need the answers to make it through. You're not right. I need to have a sword and shield and be willing to fight the battles. And if I do that every day, I will develop the skills. So what I've found in the secret of like leadership, and I would love to hear you speak more on this, is I don't need to teach you any skills. I don't need to train you how to think. I don't need to tell you what leadership books to read or what mentors to listen to. What I need you to do is I need you to get on the quest of being the best version of yourself possible. And and to make yourself proud of who you are. And if I can get that to happen, if you can get out of doing shit that hurts your conscious, if you can get out of doing things that you are not proud of, if you can stop making the mistakes that you've made for the last multiple years of your life, if you can stop living in a way that doesn't serve your soul, I guarantee you a new version of you will emerge like a phoenix from the ashes. You will rise from the shattered, you know, brokenness of your past. And that version will take on any and all obstacles. And when you have that type of energy behind you, you'll triumph. You'll fail, you'll struggle, you'll stumble, but you will triumph. That's the secret to leadership that I've found through all of my years coaching. What is it that you found when you bring out the best in others? Do you do you see a correlation there, or what is it that really leads people to their success? I think that it's well. Some of the best advice that I got from one of my old employees when I first bought the brokerage was, "You can lead these people; they will follow you if they know your heart." Like it doesn't matter about what you've done; it doesn't matter about your production; it doesn't matter about any of those things that if you can lead them with your heart and show them your heart, they'll follow you. And I, I want the same thing for each one of my agent partners. To, I want to build more leaders. And we, we're not all the same. You and I aren't the same. Um, we're all built differently. That was the best advice that I ever got in a, in a leadership capacity. Here's your quote then. People don't know or don't care how much you know until they know how much you you care. care. Yeah. That's the quote, man. Yeah. And that is so true to a degree. A couple people in this gym, like I'm going to use Bo as an example. I'm going to tell you two really quick stories. Bo was a young, struggling kid who's had a tremendous amount of family problems. And he was all over the place when he was first in this gym. And I almost kicked him out a couple times because his actions were just so unacceptable. He was being hateful to random people for no reason. And I know why, because he was very damaged and he was very jagged. So he would just poke anyone that was around him. You know what I mean? And I kept demanding better of him. And he almost took it as like, like, why do you always single me out? Like, why are you against me? And it took a breakthrough of him realizing that like every time I was ever doing that, he recognized it was because I cared about him and I was trying to make him better than what he was being on the surface. And the moment that shifted in his brain, 
He is a leader now. He shows up with good energy now. He's reading books now. He's pulling up in the car and I can hear, it used to be just loud screamo music playing. He's listening to motivational audio books and he's trying to find out about mentor programs that he's going to sign up for. And he's, he's like, I, I need to look at new you know, job ventures to get into a better culture. But it took the breakthrough of him knowing James isn't picking on me to pick on me. Yeah. He is picking on me because he knows that there is so much more to me. And he remembers being that young, struggling kid. And it's like the moment that shifted, now, you know what I get from Bo? Gratitude. He'll send messages where he's like, man, like, I really appreciate what you've done for me, what you continue to do for me. Thank you very much. Like, it means a lot. And I'm dedicated to my journey more now than ever. But I just want you to know that, like, I appreciate you seeing something in me that I didn't see in myself. That's a reflection of what you're saying. And exactly. one of the parts of your story, Spencer, you know Spencer in here? Yeah. That kid's the truth. Like, yeah. listen, if life doesn't get this kid, I promise you, not only is he top 10 UFC, he is a problem for everyone. He, I mean, he is a problem. He grew up in the trailer park uh, that's, that's in New Hudson, and he came from such limiting beliefs. One time he was sitting on the bench out there with me, and he goes, James, what is it going to take for me to get a trailer one day? Like, I need to be able to live on my own one day. Like, how do I get a trailer? And I looked at him, and I'm like, you're not getting a trailer, Spencer. What does it take one day for you to have a beautiful family, to have a beautiful home, to have your life in order, to be a man that you're proud of? And he looked at me and was like, you think I could have my own house one day? No. I realized in that moment, we were sitting out on the bench. It was just him and I after a morning practice. He had never opened the doorway in his mind that it was even possible that he wasn't meant to buy a trailer one day and have just enough to get by. He had never even considered it, Dominic. Yeah. And then now, in there, hundred percent. Now he's coming out of his shell and he goes, "How great can life be?" You're a hundred percent right on the part of you could have the best information on earth, but if people don't know that you genuinely have their best interests at hearts, why would they listen to you? Yeah. Because everybody can say the information. Right. It's already out there. You could Google it. You could, you, we could use chat GPT and say, how do I fix my life if I'm struggling? It'll just rattle off a list for you. There you go, guys. If you yeah. want to know how to get your life in order, just ask chat GPT. <laughs> but that's not how you change your life. You change your life through love, through connection, through belief, through sometimes others belief in you, you know? So let's talk about, you start to tackle all these different challenges. You, um, are showing yourself that you can win these battles. You probably start to earn the respect of these different agents. Does your vision start to change? Do you start to see yourself differently? Do you start to see the company differently? Do you start reimagining the culture? Because you took over an existing culture. Yeah. But if you light a flame within somebody, like when the torch is passed, you're, you're now the guy that starts to, you might be looking at age-old things that have been in the process forever and say, hey, we're going to make adjustments here. Start to tell me about how the brokerage and everything changes with you now at the helm. That was a lot of fun to look back on. Um, change, like, it, it takes me back to, you know, right around that same time. I come home one day and Lauren goes, you're not even the same person that I married. And I'm like, uh-oh, is that a bad thing? Better or worse. <laughs> yeah. She's like, no, it's better. She's like, I mean, you're kind of dorkier now. She wanted the tattooed bad guy, bad boy. But she's like, you dress a lot nicer. Like, you wake up at 4.45 in the morning. You're reading the Bible, for God's sake. Like, you're reading all these other books. Um, you're just not the same person that I met. And I had to change, right? I had to change to become 
you know, the person that I needed to be to do the role that I was, you know, placed in. So as I was lucky enough when I bought the brokerage that Rick, Rick's main priority for our brokerage was the culture before I ever took over. And it was part of the reason that I was there. It was such a family atmosphere. Um, the, the culture was amazing. I just got to build on it. So I had a vision for this company before I ever stepped in the doors. As a brand new real estate agent, as I'm researching real estate companies of where I want to go, I'm searching the internet. I'm scouring all of the different real estate companies and their value propositions. And I see this colorful, energetic, vibrant uh, company that's values are God, family, and then business that, you know, it's posted right in front and center. Um, so it's got amazing values. It's got amazing culture. Uh, number one training com- organization in all industries at the time. Like I need to learn how to be a good real estate agent. I need to go to a company that's going to teach me um, as a brand newbie walking in off the street. So I saw this huge vision for this amazing company and I interviewed all the other ones. I came into a Keller, actually back by my old house, and they weren't that welcoming. They're not all the same. I came to this brokerage out in Brighton, and no offense to my old buddy Rick, but it was a very dry, stale, gray or beige-colored walls. It was a traditional brokerage with the Keller name on it. Um, so my vision for it was like, I see these. I see this vibrant, energetic, shining light up in this in the corner. I just want to bring that inside the building and turn the you know turn the sound up in this place. So when I got to hold the reins and be the be the new owner, that's where I took it. I we were in a tired old building in downtown Howell, the old Citizens Building. Um, that wasn't a part of my deal. I didn't take on that lease when I bought it. I bought the asset, not the not the the lease or anything like that. And I said, first things first, we're moving to Brighton, which is where we were originally from, and that's where the mothership is going to be. And then I'll open up when we expand. When when I fill that office, I'm going to expand back to downtown Howell um, because I know that we need a presence in both. So first things first. I go from 25,000 square foot in Howell, massive building, with now I'm looking at 130 agents instead of 155, and I could throw a grenade in that place and it wouldn't have hurt anybody. Like, it wouldn't have hurt anybody because if there were people there, they were scattered around 25,000 square foot, so there was no culture at that point because you didn't know where anybody was at. So I said we needed to downsize tremendously uh, and rebuild the culture that Rick had. I want people together again. I want, you know, I want the energy of productivity, of people being on the phones. I learned so much from hearing the other agents, you know, talking the lingo, doing price reductions or adjustments, you know, just having conversations with clients, lead generating, you know, setting appointments, things like that. I learned so much from that that I needed to create an environment where that was a part of the learning process. So I had this, I ended up leasing a 6,000 square foot space in Brighton. Uh, It's very much an open, you know, uh, flexible space working atmosphere, great culture of productivity, um, 
a lot of agents, you know, in the office. Everybody's working together, helping each other. We're always masterminding. We're always trying to grow each other. And I put some vibrant, you know, graphics on the walls and some bright colors because um, I wanted to bring that light in for for all of the people in Keller Williams that don't leave the office to go seek out uh, education in Austin when we go down there or California when we go to a family reunion. They don't necessarily get to see what we see by by investing in our education multiple times a year. So I had to bring that into the office, and that's what we did. We, we've built up the office. We got up to 200 agents last year, uh, packed the Brighton office, and then uh, just built out and our, actually our grand opening for Howell is June 8th. It's incredible, man. It's incredible. So I have so many questions that I want to ask about this. So let me decide which way I want to take this. What I'm going to say first is there's like a meme going around the internet right now where it's like whenever someone says it's a family culture, that means that it's toxic and it's bad. You've seen these, right? That means it's going to be terrible. That means I'm going to have all these expectations put upon me that I don't want to do. And it's so misguided because the real elite best culture is like a family in the sense that you love and care about each other and in your own ability to be successful there. So the word family exists, whether it's a dysfunctional family of people being split apart, the dad is terrible to the children, there's no relationship, that's still a family, okay? And if you take that interpretation of family, because maybe that's the storm that you grew up in, yeah. and you paint that upon, look at your family life. Yeah. Let's say the word family, you then spilled over, oh, this company's like a family, that must mean it's terrible. No, it means it's a family done the right way. Yeah. When there is love and support for each other in one environment, you can all succeed together. That might be getting more and more rare, but that is the desired outcome. So it's like family or like with my team, I love a lot of the people that I'm around, love them. I care about them deeply. If they called me at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday, I'm going to be there to help them. Yeah. I care about these people and I believe that they care about me to the same level. So it's like we have that exchange. The toxic part comes in when it's not genuine. When you're not, when you're really the person that's, you don't care about people at all and you're in it for your own self and you're not going to contribute to the group. You're not going to show a skill that could help the office tremendously because you're like, well, it's me against them. It's not us together. No, the more you enhance, that's insecurity. That is a limited vision. The more you enhance your brokerage, the more that everyone is going to want to be a part of the Keller Williams group. And you're going to bring the best, most competent, trustworthy, wholesome people into an organization where nobody can compete with that. You will be successful because you will do things the right way. You will seek out training. You will share information and advice. So it's like there's a misguided perception about that family toxic environment when it's done right it's the ultimate it's it is the great culture that we speak of it's just very hard to create you need the people at the top to truly embrace the values and then pass it down it's the same type of uh concept as like masculinity is not toxic yeah toxic masculinity became a huge term that everyone was using all the time and it made me laugh every time i heard it because masculinity is not toxic men can be on any level of the spectrum. There are incredibly evil men. There are men that just kind of cruise control. They don't really stand up for anything, but they're not really against anything. And then there are great men that have virtues and values and love for other people that try to do the right thing 
in opposition to anything evil. And it's like, if you blanket term, oh, his family, he has a family culture at Keller Williams. That must mean it's <laughs> no, that means your perceptions are off or that you've never experienced the right culture. Yeah. When you were telling me all that, I get it 100%, but I was thinking, I was like, I wonder if people are going to try to spin this to like, oh, well, he just means that he's going to make his people do all this and not, no, you lead by example and you expect the best out of other people. Just like your coach held you accountable and said, oh, you didn't get your leads done. It looks like Saturday. That's what you're doing. That type of energy might not feel good to you. If you're a low performer, if you're low caliber, you don't want that. You don't want that. Maybe that is toxic to you. Maybe you feel like, oh, I can't deal with that because you don't realize that your greatness is on the other side of your lack of accountability. Uh, It's on the other side of your lack of ethics. So, and you see this in the best programs. Like you see this in the companies that are really winning or like Catholic Central. They all align on an ideology. Their wrestling team and their sports teams, they dominate. But they also put a lot of value structure into it. They have a clear respect for authority and the programs and respect for each other and, you know, unity amongst themselves. And that's why they dominate. So it's like this leaves clues. How do you, Dominic, prevent the inner, you know, like that competitive, envious, like, because that culture is hard to uphold. And if you have, I'm thinking about the number of agents you have. You have 190 people all competing in a market. How do you keep them in alignment with that type of culture? Like, how do you actually, it's easy to say it. Mm-hmm. How do you make Keller Williams that light that I know that, you know, you value deeply? How, how, do, how do you create that environment in the real world? You know, that, that comes up a lot when I you know, bring an agent on from a different brokerage, you know, that comes over to see what we have going on over there. When I'm explaining our culture and how people are all looking to help one another, we're not, we're not just competing with each other. In fact, very rarely are, are my agents sitting at the same table with a seller uh, competing against the listing, right? Uh, there are multiple other real estate companies around that we're competing with. When they don't tend to understand that very well because they're they typically most of them come from a from a a brokerage or a business to where they're hiding everything that they you know are doing from all of the other agents so that they don't steal their ideas we do it completely opposite our agents share everything that they're doing because they do know and understand the value of and I'll say it again if you can just help enough other people get what they want, you can have anything in the world you want. It's the hardest thing for some people to understand, but it is the truth, right? So we also know that I could sell, I mean, Jeff Glover does it. Jeff Glover sells a thousand houses a year, let's say, his team. And Jeff Glover will stand in front of any room of real estate agents from any company and he will explain in detail exactly what he does to sell a thousand houses a year. And you know as well as I do, and as well as he does, that what percentage of people are going to take that and implement it in that room to sell a thousand houses a year? Chances are zero, right? Because zero, I mean, there, there are not that many people that are going to be willing to put those systems in place and work that hard to get to that point. So it's okay to share. 
Um, and even if, say, one person in that room builds a business that competes and sells another 1,000 houses a year, do you think that Jeff is at all worried that that's going to take away from his? No, because it won't. Because it, it might take, a, take food off of the plate from somebody else, but he already knows that his business is strong enough and that he could plant it anywhere in the country and do the same thing over and over and over again. That winner is only going to take away from those that aren't willing to level up. The people that rise in competency are going to ascend and be successful like you and others. And the people that are refusing to take the advice or the information or learn the lessons or share that are keeping it all in their chest. And like, cause I pictured it's such, you don't realize how small, small of a world you're creating when you do that, yeah. but you're not hurting the other people. You might think like, oh, I'm protecting so other people. No, you're hurting yourself and yeah. you are limiting yourself dramatically. And and that type of mindset never leads to greatness. You just don't see it. The people that are great, here's what I'll go back to. The information has always been there. The information yeah. is right at your fingertips. We have a cell phone on us at all times that everything that Jeff could possibly say, you could Google yeah. and you could find. Yeah. And any tips that you want to find, you could find. You could watch a TikTok reels of people saying, Do you, what about this real estate tip, this lead generation tip? The information is not the problem. The problem is what part of your psyche does not allow you to make the proper actions to become the type of person that is worthy of the success that will come with the information. That's what people don't get. Yeah. So what I'm picturing in your culture is you're just trying to get people to see it from the correct lens. It's like you, you want to unfog their lenses and let them see, guys, this collaboration will only yield progress for you personally and professionally. It is not going to harm or hinder you yeah. because there's real estate agents all over the place. There's all these different people that you're competing with. But if our brand is that of upstanding citizens that do a great job for their clients and our brand is rock solid and people know if you work with Keller Williams, you are going to get top notch people that genuinely care about your situation and are going to give 100%. They're not going to work with the other brands. Yeah. The people that don't level up will be the ones that are left in the dust. Yeah. The people that take these lessons and climb up the hierarchy through their competency will be surrounded by other winners. And winners like to be around winners. That's right. Like I'll help anyone in the world, but nothing makes me feel better than being around other people that embrace this type of like value structure, you know, competitive edge. They want to make life, you know, into an incredible ride. I'll mentor people that are lower on the spectrum. I will help people that are lower on yeah. the spectrum. I will give my heart to like anyone of any level. Yeah. But I tell you what, what I really want to do is I want to be surrounded by people that want to win genuinely, authentically, uh, with morality. Yeah. Not because if you word that incorrectly, being cutthroat could be winning. Sure. Keeping things to your chest could be winning, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking no. about value structure and support system. And I'm telling you what, if I want, you know, it instantly when you step into an environment, when you walk into a, if I walk into Keller Williams you will know in a super short period by the energy that exists amongst the people. Some businesses can claim to be something the moment you walk in there, you can see it in the way that they look at each other. 
or the way they look at a client. You can, these are intangible things. Well, guess what? Human beings are largely driven by their limbic system, the way that they feel. So when they step into your brokerage and they feel welcomed and they feel like everyone is there to help them win, regardless of what agent you choose, like we're here for you. That's why you come to Keller Williams. Yeah. Those are the things that are going to drive action. That's why, you know, car salesmen get a bad rep is because you feel that like, oh, this person feels slimy and they're trying to screw me over in this deal. Guys, if you know that feeling, you need to work to become people that don't give that energy because you're not that. Yeah. You are genuine. You are authentic. So tell me about some of the struggles that people wouldn't expect because you have money now, you're successful now, you have a very broad perspective of life, which that fills the gaps of gratitude. And like when you come from the gutter and you make it up top, gratitude's never an issue because you're like, this is my life. Like, I don't even deserve this. Like, that's more of a struggle. Mm -hmm. But what are the struggles that you do face on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis that, you know, if your agents knew, maybe, you know, seeing behind the scenes, the man behind the curtain, what are the struggles that you still find at this point? Because I know you're not done. You're not, you're, you don't have cruise control set. Dominic is saying, how do I go to the next level? What are the struggles that you still face? Oh, so many. I'll start with um, the struggles of old relationships. Um, you know, you, you've come up with a circle of people around you, and as you grow into, you know, different aspects of life or success, um, sometimes you grow apart from, you know, your, your original sphere. Um, some of them don't like seeing you be more successful. They think that you're just getting lucky and they're not as lucky. Um, so I think part of the struggle has been finding my, um, my new sphere of influence, seeking, just like you just said, seeking to build relationships with other like-minded people that want to, that we can help and support each other on a growth trajectory versus being the crabs in the bucket where, you know, the one crab's trying to pull the other one down, right? That's been a big struggle because, you know, learning a few years ago, I mean, you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. And when I learned that, I could tell you, I knew how much the people around me were making and I was right in the middle of all of it. And I realized at that point, in order to become a higher net worth individual, I had to become somebody that higher net worth people were going to spend time with. How did I do that? How do I do that, right? Coming from where I come from, not having much of an education, not being an eloquent speaker, um, what did I have to do? I this Part of the struggle was, man, I had to read more books. I had to get up earlier and work harder than most of the people around me. I just had to, again, I had to go through a whole, whole other transition of who do I need to become to be, to be the person to where I'm surrounding myself with, you know, you name it. Say, I need, I need to be around people who have a $10 million net worth or a hundred million dollar net worth, like, so that I can level my life and my world up, I have to just become that type of person that can add value to somebody's somebody else who's taking time and spending it with me, right? So that that's been a big struggle. I work my ass off. I still wake up at 
four or five o'clock in the morning. I still read every day, multiple books. I'm working out in the morning. I get to come to the gym and work out here a couple nights a week. I'm going to quickly testify on his behalf. This man the other night was with one of my fighters in fight camp who is a savage who was trying to break you mentally. He was pushing you as hard as he could possibly push you. And it's like, you're successful. You do this for enjoyment. You were out there fighting for your life on the mat, out of breath, pouring sweat, fighting back. And it's like that is a testament. Your words, no matter how eloquent or articulate you were, you could never actually explain well enough what is seen in those moments. Yeah. That's You are willing to go through whatever type of process necessary to transcend your mind and being to the level that you are seeking. Yeah. And like I witnessed that. I when, You know exactly what I was talking about right by the side of the cage. I have a bruise on my ribs still from him. I was looking over and I was thinking to myself, Okay, is he going to quit in this round? There's there's no way he keeps going. There's no way. I mean, he's still new to it. He hasn't. Because, like, grappling cardio is different than any other cardio. Like, yeah. I don't care what shape you think you're in. Come grapple for a 10-minute round. It's just it's different. Especially where you're not moving weights. You're not You're not out for a run by yourself. Another human being that is skilled and dangerous is trying to mentally and physically break you as many times as they can in that period. Yeah. And fighting against human willpower is a different experience. Like, a lot of people have... You know, they love going to the gym. They love feeling that struggle. They like fighting the struggle. It's addictive. Yeah. When you fight another human being's willpower that is trying to break you, who has more technical skills than you, there is nothing that is better for building your actual inner strength. Because otherwise, once you hit your limit, you just kind of stop. People stop at their limit. That person doesn't allow you to. No. They, they don't care where your limit is. You might be purple in the face, pouring sweat, going like, I got nothing in the tank. And they're like, looks like you got three minutes left on the clock. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, you, that is such a testament to that. You are on the pursuit of leveling up. And it's amazing that you haven't fallen into comfort. I, that's the next question I'm going to ask you. The old quote of like, it's hard to leave a comfortable bed. You have a comfortable bed now, Dominic. You got the Raptor. You got the beautiful family. You got money. You have flexibility with your time. You you don't have to continue this pursuit. Yeah. What keeps you so dedicated to the path? And what are the processes or people that that keep you on that walkway? So I will say I'm I'm so far from superhuman that I have fallen into comfort. Not right now. Not at this point in my life. Um, but. I will say when when the real estate market was bumping, uh, you know, I have 200 agents, everybody's really successful, um, you know, the the economy was great, right? Coming out of COVID, I mean, we were blasting. I did. I got comfortable and it made me depressed. I mean, I have everything that I've ever wanted and I actually started to fall into a depression again. And I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> um, I I felt like, and, and I didn't realize it until actually early this year. It was because, you know, I was searching for the next thing and nothing was really feeding my soul. Like that I was, like like we talked about earlier, like I knew what my buy 40 goals were going to be. It was inevitable that I was going to drive the truck and have the house. Uh, I didn't I, – I came up with a whole bunch of ideas of what my next thing was going to be. 
but nothing was deep in my soul um, is to, to, to get me there. So I started to, you know, get comfortable in my bed. Like I was just, I didn't know what to do. And it wasn't until the market started to get hard, the economy and inflation started to go sideways, uh, interest rates started to go up, that I found my passion again. And that was like, I like building things. And I don't like it to be, I, I don't like anything to be on the straight and narrow. And I don't like anything to be flat. I had to p- pull my bootstraps back up, get back on the phones, talk to agents, go back to doing what I what I was really good at because they needed me again. Um, that got me, my fire relit. That's actually when my current coach said, in fact, that was exactly when my current coach said, Dominic, what are you doing in your life that's hard right now? And I said, nothing. He said, every high achiever is pushing themselves and doing something hard. Some are doing 75 hards. Some are climbing Mount Everest. You know, what is the hard that you're going to do? And that was when the boys started in jiu-jitsu. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go do jiu-jitsu. I'm going to join the gym and I'm going to start doing this because it's fucking hard right and he goes he even said like he's like yeah that sounds like it's pretty hard like are you sure i mean dominic that's really hard man i meant hard not really hard yeah um and that was my hard and that's when i came in here and did my first couple of days i mean felt like i was gonna die and then it took me a few weeks to come back in but now like I'm back on I'm back on that journey again and I'm excited. I wake up excited. I tell you what, I think I told you this the other day. My body feels better after getting in here and doing this. Um, I feel like my veins, my blood flow is opened up, like I feel stronger, and that's causing me to go into the, the office with more energy again, to be able to just do the things that I love. I know that I will expand my businesses. I know that it's inevitable that I will buy other, you know, real estate investments and things like that. I just needed to find my passion again, and I needed something hard to do. I honestly did. I'm telling you what, when you just said that, you said, I got depressed when life got good. Very few people will be blessed enough to understand that statement. That's exactly how I felt when my life gets good. When my life is going really well, I have money, and I'm happy. And if I'm not pursuing hard, if I'm pursuing something difficult, then I'm. what I realized is, it's a Les Brown quote. There's a couple things I'm going to say on this, and hopefully one of these sticks with people. It says, what we become in the process is more important than the dream. And that's what it is. It's the climb that brings you happiness. Maybe that's why in the US Constitution, one of the, you know, Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution, one of the most genius documents in all of human history, where they say, in the pursuit of happiness. Has to, happiness is not the destination, man. Pursuing happiness is what gives us our fulfillment, our joy, our value. When you said during a part of your speech right there, you said, they needed me. 
Something about that and feeling that you have value to this life to give, whether it's as a father, whether it's as a leader, whether it's as a friend, you said the words, they needed me. Something taps into like our soul and then you say, you know what, if they need me and I already know what it's like to put on a suit of armor, let's get my armor on and let's get my sword and let's go to back to battle. It's like that samurai thing. Like when it's time to serve, yeah. you serve. Yeah. And you knew what your armor looked like and what your sword looked like because you had to build them. You had to use them before. So when it was time to get the sword, well, guess what? When you throw that samurai armor back on and you pull that sword out and you look at that blade and you said, I fought many battles with this blade and now it's time to fight another one. It's almost like that's that sense of I am a warrior and it's go time. Yeah. And that like you are blessed if you are one of the people that can listen to this episode and understand those words, because I feel like you almost have to have a certain lived experience from tragedy and chaos to happiness. You have to have a wide spectrum. Sure. But when you said that word, I became depressed when things were good. It is, it was the epitome of how I felt when things started to get too good. And I realized I'm a man that is best when I am serving a purpose. And that now is my life story forever. My life story forever is if I have the ability to serve and I have the ability to make the world better, I am doing a disservice to this universe or whatever it is. For the blessings that I've received, I owe a great debt. And if I'm not paying that debt by being my best and being out there, shame on me. Yeah. And like we've shot another hour and 20 minutes, part two. And no joke, I think we could go further. And it's like, last thing I'm going to say on this part is, Tyson Fury is an incredibly influential person too. Like one of the greatest heavyweight boxers yeah. of all time. I truly believe if you put him against any heavyweight boxer with his physical attributes and stuff, he's a man that's talked about depression a lot. Like he's had mental struggles since he was a kid. And he said when he won the world title the first time, he fell into the worst depression of his life. Yeah. And that speaks to that same thing. What you become in the process is more important than the dream. So you need to remember that your value will come more from serving and from fighting than it does from winning. And if you can shift your mindset like that, it's not the wins. It's the pursuit of the victories. Warriors are not the ones that always win, but they're the ones that always fight the righteous battles. Yeah. That's it, man. And, and you know what? I want to be surrounded by people like that. I want to be, be surrounded by those type of servants that are on a quest, that are on a mission, that are ruthless in the pursuit of things with virtue. Yeah. Not cutthroat. A, a samurai could kill a good innocent man or it can stop the darkness. It can be the defense against, you know, tyranny or whatever or any type of chaos. It's like you have to be a fighter. And you are a fighter. If you live in this world, you are a fighter. It's just if you're not training and you're not leveling up and you're not fighting back, you're just losing. Yeah. It doesn't mean that there's not battles ahead of you. You know, so, uh, man, I don't know if we'll end up having it. We're, maybe we create our own 64 stories by 44 different episodes. But just anything else you'd like to say on the podcast, uh, this is just an, another incredible insight for people. I hope that one day your children, like imagine imagine Troy and Cole being 16, 17, 18-year-old young men looking towards the future and saying, how do I really become my best? Where will I find fulfillment and joy? How do I squeeze the juice out of this life? And we've left a blueprint. And other great men have as well. We're not saying anything revolutionary. We're no. just laying out what we've found to be true. 
We're not keeping the secrets in our chest. Anyone that listens to this podcast, if you want to understand why we have the fulfillment, drive, joy, we've laid it out. I'm not holding anything yeah. back. I don't know if you're holding anything back. No, that's it. That's it, man. That, that's the Jeff Glover approach. Here's yeah. the information. Do with it what you will. Yeah, and the last thing that I want to say is if you were to just pick this podcast apart from the last episode to this episode, there's little bits and pieces that anyone can take with them and just implement in your life. Like going back to Glover, I mean, no, people don't ever take the information that he gives to go sell a thousand houses. But if you take one or two of those things and you implement it into your life, it can change the whole trajectory of your life. And it can put you on a path of growth that becomes contagious, right? Because I always say this to everybody now. I mean, five years ago, I was unrecognizable to my wife. Five years from now, I want to be unrecognizable again and continue that because I know that the minute that I stop growing and building and working on myself, and yes, it's grueling. I mean, reading as many books, it can be harder for some people than a diet or working out. It is grueling to do all of those things. But if you stop, I feel like if you stop, that's the day that you throw in the towel and you start dying. And you could live to be 90-something, but all the way there, you're dying. I want to I be living and growing until I'm dead. So I want this to keep going. That's that flame in your heart, man. You can't let that flame in your heart die. And it's like if you look, if you sat down alone by yourself and you asked the questions about what do I really want out of this life? What am I really not happy with? What are the things that I would change about myself if I could? You will find the answers. Then the only question becomes why am I not doing it? And it's like to give you an analogy, if your life is suffering right now and your life is chaos and it's hell, imagine if you were walking alone in a desert and all you need is like a little sip of water to keep to survive, to keep going. You just need a little sip of water. In these podcasts, you might find that little sip of water. And maybe you're unable to ingest a, a water tanker. You just need a sip of water. But then by doing that, it might give you the strength to go on enough that next thing you know, you find a full glass of water. And then you find a basin. Yeah. And next thing you know, you have a stream and, and it can provide for you. And you start to really build yourself up. Well, guess what? One day you might be a source of water for an entire community to then lead others on their journey. So it's not about listening to a motivational tape or a podcast or something and being able to ingest all of it. There's no way you can at that point. No. The only thing you might need to pull from it is, the next time I have a decision that's right in front of my face where I know that this is the wrong action and I normally take that action, if you can just do what is right, that is the step, that is the sip of water that is for self-discipline, for accountability, for on Saturday I could have gone and got drunk, but you know what? I have to finish those leads. He was making you, it's a sip of water at a time. And then the next thing you know, you're in a better health state, you're doing better, that's like the best way I can break it to an analogy. And like, that's the secret to changing your life. You don't change it in a massive step at once. You take incredibly small, sometimes almost unnoticeable yeah. steps towards the man or woman that you want to become. Next thing you know, you're looking back five years and your wife is telling you, I don't know you. 
I'm, I'm, I'm being reintroduced to this man. I was dating the tattooed bad boy that rode a motorcycle and, and, you know, and was this guy, who are you? I appreciate you. I love the journey. Like that is what you're meant to do. And that's man. When you said that sentiment, I hope the same thing. I hope I'm 90 years old, still pursuing, like, what can we do next? How do we make a bigger impact? How do we help more lives? So Dominic, absolute pleasure and honor to sit with you today. You know, and I mean, these dialogues I could have every day and they fill the cup, man. Yeah. They bring the energy into the life. So it's just, you know, I hope that people enjoy this. Um, you know, I hope that, man, we need to start just grabbing lunch. Hey, every every couple of weeks, if you want to sit down and grab lunch together, I'd really love to. Oh, I would love that. And, yeah. you, you know, like I said, um, it was an honor. And as you see, I promised if Dominic was showing up with the elite energy, I would be across the table with the same. So thank you again, sir. Thank you for what you do in the community. Thank you for what you've done in yourself, for the belief you've had in yourself, for not giving up on yourself. Because, you know, if any of those times in your life you decided to take a different path you decided not to be the man you could be the world and this community would be lesser because of it so thank you for the man that you are and you know we'll wrap this up awesome thanks you so much